the Catholic Channel Sirius XM 129 presents Just Love with your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of New York. Welcome back to Just Love. We were here last week and we spoke about autism last week. We also spoke about the environment. And thank you for being with us and thank you for joining us again this week on Just Love. We always begin by bringing it down to us individually because we talk about these broad topics that have a great deal of implications for the world. But every one of us who is listening, and even some who are not listening, even have the opportunity to do something on our individual level. Very simple. Love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself. And imagine, imagine if. Six billion people did that. I would argue if we all did that to a great extent, we probably wouldn't have a lot of social problems if we did that. But we don't live up to it. And it's not only the other guy. It's ourselves who don't always live live up to it. Hey, Tom, you know what I've been paying attention to in the past recently? When we talk about the world and six billion people, um, have you noticed that China mm-hmm. is going to lose its uh, first place ranking mm-hmm. for population? Have you 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 paid attention to that? I didn't. So, you know, it's very funny. You you may remember a number of weeks back, my friend Ashok was on the show, right. and I was with he and his parents this weekend. They're from India, so they were talking, and they were kind of they were kind of shocked by it. They said, you know, India is set to surpass China as the most populous country in the world. And they were like, they were shocked by it. They were, they were all wondering what it could possibly mean. And is this a good thing for India? Is it, you know, a bad thing for China? Uh, it just is very interesting. And I think now it'll be, I forget what Mr. Rajamani said, one in five people I think now on earth will be of South Asian background, which is something that's kind of interesting or some well, number. I mean, let, let's not, let's not blow this out of proportion. <laughs> right. No, no. What I mean by it is, is, Yes, they will statistically surpass China, but already they're 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 almost the same. Right. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's not going to be a radical increase in 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 India's population or a radical decrease. It's just that India is growing and China's going a little bit down. And um, so, but I wish I quite frankly. Mm-hmm. I thought China was way, way ahead. Mm-hmm. But I didn't realize. I think it's going to happen in the next year or two. I think so. I think yeah, that's what they say. They're anticipating. I think it. I think it may be the next year. That's why yeah. they're kind of saying this is going to happen. So yeah, yeah. big change. It, it is. Kind of made, the other thing again, as we talk about all the time, the poverty. Um, one of the things that I think uh, is important is is a good piece of information people realize. That over the past 20 years or so, maybe a little bit longer, the economy of India was able to lift 300 million people above the poverty level. Wow. Now, COVID probably negatively impacted that and more slipped down. But, you know, when we talk about the dire situation of the world, we talk about refugees, we talk about poverty, we talk about famine. We talk about the lack of potable water. We also have to recognize that there 
is development in many places in which things that were thought almost impossible, you know, decades or half centuries ago are now actually happening. So Mm -hmm. there are some very, very hopeful signs about what's going on um, in the world. Now, that doesn't mean that... um, (laughs) <laughs> that there are a tremendous amount of problems. There most certainly are. And India is clearly that. And again, at the moment, I think India, you you may have more about this. There's real concern about religious freedom. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and again, I do think to a lot of our listeners, um, it may come up as a little bit of surprise um, that it, again, Tom, correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. I believe it is the majority Hindu population mm-hmm. in India that is engaging in, or some of the laws there are engaging in some very prejudicial um, actions towards some of the Muslim population. Yes, Monsieur, it is. It's sort of like the uh, the, the leading party yeah. of, of Prime Minister Modi, the BJP is sort of like, a, you know, it's sort of like a nationalist, Hindu nationalist party in India. And so what they're kind of putting forward are certain laws that, you know, impact other religious minorities, you know, and in India, I mean, Muslims are a minority, Christians are a minority, you know, uh, certainly Jewish people are a minority. So it's, it's, it's impacting those communities because it's sort of like a very Hindu nationalist priority that's being put on things. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, it's a very it's a it's a difficult it's a challenging situation but and again <clears throat> going back to our conversations about the environment um in some of the conversations i believe that are held by environments with a strong concern about how america acts and how we kind of use fossil fuels etc which is absolutely legitimate and absolutely a concern. But if you don't look at what China is doing, mm-hmm. you're missing exactly the, the missing an incredibly major piece of the pie. So I think when we are concerned, as rightly we should be, about whether it be persecution of Christians by Muslims, whether it be anti-Semitism against Jews, um, whether it be other types, unfortunately, there's examples of almost every religion in the world mm-hmm. taking actions that are detrimental and and can be somewhat oppressive of religious minorities when they get the power, which is a real need for all of us, particularly us Catholics and and Christians, to be self-reflective to make sure that we do not do that with the recognition that in the past we have. Right. But you can't pretend that when you had Christian, when you had Catholic rulers in different parts of Europe, in Spain, um, there were some actions there that certainly would not pass the the test of what we would consider right today. So Absolutely. it's uh, whatever. But having said that, let's go on to our first guest. Our first guest today is Stephanie Osterland, who is the Chief Executive Officer of uh, Habitat for Humanity Detroit and um, Habitat for Humanity for many, many years has been 
kind of focused on on housing. So, Stephanie Osterlein, thank you for taking the time to be with us on Just Love. Absolutely. Thank you, Monsignor. Thank you for having me. So give our listeners that they can put a little bit of a background to the voice that they're hearing on the radio. How did you kind of tell us a little bit about how you got to your current position? Sure. Um, well, uh, I guess when I look back at my career in, in nonprofit for, you know, the last uh, two decades, it's always had housing in it in some way. Um kind of culminating here with Habitat, but um, I started out as a foster care social worker, and um, that's pretty uh, pretty tough, working with kids that, you know, you're trying to get into stable housing, whether they're going back home with their parents or um, into a different housing situation, um, and then I ended up be doing housing counseling, um, helping people maintain housing through the foreclosure crisis, and then um, I joined a neighboring Habitat affiliate, was their program director for 10 years. Um, and so now I'm here at Habitat Detroit in the executive director role. And, um, you know, it's sometimes not until you look back till you see the thread of how all these things connect and, and end up to that point. So, um, yeah, so that's how, a little bit about me and what brought me to this place. Hey, Stephanie, thank you so much. That was uh, sure. very, very helpful and kind of very, very enlightening. So tell us now a little bit about the work of Habitat in Detroit and what are you doing these days? Sure. So we've been working in the Detroit and surrounding communities for the last 35 years. And in that time, we've either built, rehabbed, or repaired um, over 450 homes, which is incredible. Um, And in the last 15 years, we've really been heavily focused in a particular neighborhood over on the east side of Detroit uh, called Morningside. And there, uh, we've built, rehabbed, and repaired over 150 homes um, within a fairly small 16-block radius. So we've been able to see some major transformation over there. Um, And that's really what uh, keeps a lot of us, uh, a lot of our activity going over there. Um, And I know that um, Habitat uh, has a lot of, does a lot of work with with volunteers, but give our listeners a little bit of sense about how does Habitat do do its work in kind of building those 450 homes? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the key word volunteers. Um, I don't know where our mission across the globe would be if it wasn't for volunteers. So what we do is we work with a lot of individuals and a lot of corporate sponsors um, to help fund the construction costs of our materials that we need and everything. And then we bring in a lot of volunteers for specific things that are safe for volunteers um, to help offset like labor costs that you would see. That's how we can do more with what we have more than maybe a traditional builder. Um, It takes us a little bit longer, um, but we put a lot of love into it with the hands and hearts of all of our volunteers. So, you know, they help raise up the walls. They help with framing. They help with laying floor and painting and all sorts of things. Um, And it's a a really beautiful thing to have so many people involved in one project for a family. So uh, um, again, give me a little bit of a, a sense is, and I think, um, are are these private houses or are they apartment buildings or what? what's being built? Yeah. So here in Detroit, we uh, really focus on the single family detached residential. That is your, you know, maybe 1100 square foot, uh, you know, ranch house um, on a, you know, 
quarter of an acre lot, if that. Um, so that's really what we do a lot in Detroit if we're doing new construction. We have a lot of vacant parcels within the city of Detroit. So um, there is a lot of opportunity for new construction, um, but we also do a lot of rehab work. Um, Detroit has a lot of vacant properties and some aging housing stock that needs some love. So right now our strategy has been to do primarily rehab work of acquiring these existing homes. Um, some are beautiful brick bungalows that have just deteriorated. Um, and we're able to, with our sponsorships and our volunteers, breathe some new life back into those for families, um, in addition to um, some new construction infill. So you wait, you mentioned that you were kind of a program director, but that was in a different habitat, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, where was that? At the neighboring affiliate, like the next county over. Okay. So here uh, in Pontiac, Michigan. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, so um, maybe this is a little broader question. I mean, Habitat's been around for quite a few years. Mm-hmm. How has the work changed or how has the environment changed over those years? Yeah, great question. So, I mean, Habitat International really started about 45 years ago um, as super grassroots, and then it really spread and sort of infiltrated throughout the United States and um, all of us independent affiliates, and I believe there's about 1,200 of us now, all started to focus very hyper-local. You know, what are the needs of your unique community and how do you meet those? And then also, again, you know, the climate of real estate and um, the market everything kind of changed and ebbs and flows. Um, So in some areas where all they used to do is new construction, and even here in Detroit, 30 years ago, it was only new construction. I mean, it probably wasn't until around the foreclosure crisis uh, when a lot of affiliates started to to wake up and say, hey, why would we build a new house right next to one that's uh, vacant or abandoned or needs some love? And so I think a lot of Habitat affiliates throughout the nation started to embrace more of a rehab strategy. And that only even further propelled us to look at home repair work. So owner-occupied work, uh, repair work for our neighbors, um, which I think is really important. Um, And then there are some affiliates in more dense cities where properties are harder to come by that are doing multifamily. They're doing more condo type of work. So again, it really all depends on what each affiliate's community needs and and how do we adapt to that. So everybody is talking about um, the housing crisis that is nationwide. Um, it's different, as you mentioned, in, in different areas. Um, how does, does Habitat deal with policy issues around housing and affordability of housing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our, um, you know, Habitat International really uh, leads the charge on behalf of all of us affiliates at a national level when it comes to housing policy and advocating for affordable housing and national level policy change. Um, And then those of us, uh, you know, smaller affiliates, that's up to us on our local level to be involved in our local legislation and our state uh, policies to direct funding towards the causes that are going to help our neighbors the most. Um, But that's really where this Home is the Key campaign comes into play, um, which is led and directed by Habitat International. And it's it's a critical way for us uh, to share our collective voice about the importance of affordable housing just across the board. Um, Yeah. Say a little bit more about that. 
Yeah. So Home is the Key is a national campaign that's put forth every year by Habitat for Humanity International in the month of April. And that coincides with Fair Housing Month. And really what that goal is, is it's a cause marketing campaign really driven to harness collective voice to shine a light on um, the impact that safe, affordable housing has on the families that we serve, and to also shine a light on maybe some of the not so glamorous things like the issues that we're still facing today, like our, the racial home ownership gap and um, the rising cost of housing and lack of rising income. So it's really an opportunity to put housing on a platform um, for all of us to talk about and think about why it's important. So you were speaking with Stephanie. Osterland, who is the chief executive officer of Habitat for Humanity Detroit, and we're speaking about the wonderful work that Habitat has done and and is doing. Um, pretty much, what you've been talking about is is home ownership. Yeah. Does Habitat do anything in the rental housing area? Not. So much here in Detroit, we do not. There are some Habitat affiliates, again, that do have certain rental components. Um, Again, it will depend on what their community needs are and um, what type of programming they've decided for their specific area. Um, We, however, focus primarily on uh, home ownership and providing a pathway to um, ownership for the people in our program and in our community. What What are the major challenges you face? Oh, yeah. Well, we got a lot of those. (laughs) Um, You know, here in Detroit, there's a couple different things. Um, One, I mean, our housing stock is is aging. It's very old. And so, um, you know, we don't have a lot of great accessible housing for people to just purchase. Either the housing itself isn't in good enough condition to even have a loan to have to be mortgaged. Um, Also, we have a lot of issues. Uh, We have very low mortgage rate here in Detroit. Uh, Lots of people do land contracts and kind of side deals and stuff in order to acquire property. So there's a lot of other issues like that that we need to really address. Um, But really, you know, it's, it's access to opportunity. And I think financing and funding is one of the big issues um, keeping a lot of our Detroit families out um, from, you know, the mainstream mortgage lending. So when when Habitat does a home, let's just say for the mm-hmm. sake of argument, say it's new construction as opposed to rehab, um, is then the home sold to the to the individuals? It sure is. So one of the big misconceptions is that Habitat gives away homes and we do not. Um, that's not part of our program. Um, what we do is we provide a pathway to an opportunity. Um, we're like a coach throughout the whole process, um, helping make sure that our families cross that finish line. So Habitat in most cases ends up owning the homes and then building and repairing them, getting them all ready to go. And then when our families are ready, they are sold at the appraised value to that home buyer. However, Homebuyers often don't have a mortgage for that amount. We uh, we layer a lot of down payment assistance and we do a lot of, um, uh, you know, unique ways to bridge the gap so that their mortgage is affordable. But we set the sale price of record as the appraised value so that we don't screw up any neighborhood comps or anything like that. You want to be used as a good comp. We want our our property to help increase the value in a neighborhood that we're working in. Um, So we have other ways where we offset that homebuyer's mortgage um, to make sure it's affordable for them. So having said that, let me me just ask like a real estate question. So if I'm looking to buy a house, 
what's the advantage of me buying a Habitat house or another one if I'm paying market price? Well, with us, you're not really paying market price because your mortgage will be less than that. The sale price or record is market price, right? Um, But with us, what it is, it's it's really an, an opportunity for us to walk people through who have struggled for one reason or another to accomplish this traditionally, whether that's accessing mortgage products, um, uh, being able to navigate the complicated real estate market. We have a lot of trust issues within our community about, uh, you know, who should you trust to, to purchase a home from and um, the quality of housing. So what somebody gets with going through a habitat program is you get trusted support, the whole way, financial counseling, coaching, um, making sure that they understand every aspect of the transaction. Um, They also get to be involved in the entire home build or rehab process. So say they get to know their house intimately as it's being built or rehabbed. Um, And then there's, uh, there's ongoing support after that. We always say once you're part of the Habitat family, you always are. So our families, if they need anything after closing, we're here for them. We also Habitats offer a warranty program. So if there's anything that happens in the house within the first year or so, you get to go back and kind of correct that, make sure everything is set. Our goal is really all of the things that the house provides for the family. The house is just the vehicle, right? Our goal is that our families are stable, they're safe, their housing is affordable, so they have money left over for other important things uh, like medication and food and school and transportation. Um, The house, like I say, is really just kind of the vehicle for us to make sure our families are whole and, and, and healthy and stable. You know, Stephanie, what you just said, I think some people might say, oh, yeah, but that's not important. You know that. I mean, the orders is about cash. But I mean, I I just want to laud what you're doing, because for many people, it is the soft items that are the real barriers for them to home ownership. It's a whole new step for many families and that they have somebody can say, hey, they said they were going to put a two by four in there. And they did put a two by four, not a two by two. Right. And, and somebody said the electricity passed inspection mm-hmm. and it did pass inspection. That is that can be incredibly valuable for a first time homeowner to have certain confidence that they're, absolutely. Getting, they're getting a good deal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, That's one of the issues within our community for people who are existing homeowners who have purchased homes. Um uh, you know, from a, a, a poorly done investor flip project, and they don't know what they're getting into, and they have all sorts of problems and are in need of really costly repairs. And if they can't make those repairs, then the house continues to deteriorate and the family's in a difficult situation. So it can be a, a pretty big mess. And we we have a lot of that on our hands within the city of Detroit, um, like I said, because of the housing stock and the age of it. So, um, yeah. Stephanie, I think I heard you mention that there are 1,200 Habitat affiliates throughout the United States. I think throughout the throughout the globe. Okay. I think that includes our international affiliates as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But if somebody in not Detroit, but somebody else, someplace else, wanted to get involved, they wanted to volunteer, how do they go about doing it? 
Yeah, I would say their best bet is to go to uh, Habitat International's website, which is just habitat.org. And they can, there's a, a whole page on there where they can type in their state or their zip code, and it will pull up the closest Habitat affiliate to where they are. And then they can get the contact info the information for that and kind of drill down into, um, you know, the closest ones for them to either look for their programming if they're in need of services, or like you said, look to get involved and volunteer. Good. All right. Stephanie, is there any other thing that you think would be important for our listeners to know about Habitat after, before I let you go, because you've been so generous with your time? Yeah, I mean, I I would just like to take advantage of the opportunity that we're talking about our home is the key campaign. And I, I think I'd challenge everybody to really sit back and think about what does home mean to you, you know? Um, When you think of the word home and you sit back and you reflect, what does that really mean? And try to answer this statement to yourself. Home is the key to what for you, right? Um, And when I think about it, for me, I think um, home is the key to the beginning, right? It's the beginning of so many different things. Um, It's the foundation and building block for so many different um, opportunities for families. Um, And I just would encourage everybody to really think about what it means to them. Um, I think sometimes if if housing isn't a a need for you or you're not in a housing crisis, you tend to not think about it or maybe take it for granted a little bit. But think a little bit about really truly what it means. And if you didn't have that, what would that be like? And that's really the feelings that we want to invoke for um, this campaign, just to make sure people um, are aware that there are a lot of other other neighbors and families here that don't have safe and stable housing. And um, if we want the good for humanity, we're here to to support one another and and invest in housing for everybody. So I guess I would leave them with that. Um, Think about what housing means to you. Thank you so much, Stephanie Osterland, the Chief Executive Officer of Habitat for Humanity in Detroit. Thanks for sharing so generously your time with us and letting us become a little bit smarter about the importance of homeownership and Habitat's important role in making that happen for hundreds of people throughout the country. Thanks so much for being with us on Just Love. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Just love, just do it. Just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself, and our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. We'll be back on the Catholic Channel in just a moment. Sirius XM 129.
Just do it. Just love. Just check out Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, who's here right now. Take it away, Monsignor. Just Love, here with Tom Dobbins, who has arranged for our interesting guest. I'm Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. Just do it. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. Um, you know, each week we talk about what's going on in the world through the perspective of our Catholic uh, values. Um, so, Tom, one of the things that's coming up in a week or so is... Um, is Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. So are you thinking about what you're going to do for your mother on Mother's Day? Uh, I, I am, Monsignor. I'm going to, um, I mean, I'm, I'll certainly go see her. Um, I'll probably bring her flowers, which I usually do. Um, she, you know, I mean, she has a lot, you know, over the years, she has a lot of stuff. So she probably doesn't need much, but she does like a certain perfume. I don't have the name of it right here, but I think I may go out and get her a perfume. But interestingly, Monsignor, this week, in another milestone, I have to go see both. My my parents are having their 60th anniversary. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. April April 27th. They'll be married 60 years. So isn't that? Whoa. That is, um, that, <laughs> is, that is a milestone. That is a milestone. Are they celebrating? Not well, not huge. I mean, we're probably going to go. Um, my niece is having a, a play that night, so we'll we'll all be together, and then we'll probably bring them out to to dinner. They didn't want a party. They said okay. they had a party for their fiftieth, and so they were happy with that. So uh, they're just thankful to God for you know still being here. Okay, <laughs> oh, that that is yeah. That's so we're going to take them to dinner. <laughs> that, that is that is good. Uh, that's 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 good. So um, all right. So um, talking about wedding anniversaries and <laughs> things of that nature, um, kind of you get there by meeting people, by meeting someone, then you get married. That's right. Which we usually call dating. So I'm delighted that uh, our next guest is Monica Braun, who is a Christian relationship coach. And she's the founder of that, and uh, she's an author. So I am delighted. Monica, thank you so much for joining us on Just Love. Thank you so much, Monsignor. I'm so happy to be here with you today. Great. So listen, uh, you know, our listeners hear uh, your very, very pleasant voice, but give them a little sense of the person behind the voice. Yeah, so... um... I am just a people person. I love people. I love working with people and I love helping people. And I feel like I've had a lot of lessons in my own life that I like to share with others. So a lot of friends, a lot of connections, and I am a mom to three kids and I've been married for about eight years. Okay. Well, that is a great, and which, uh, which part of the country do you hail from and where are you? I am in Racine, Wisconsin. Okay, so kind of in the north middle of the country. Yeah, yeah, it's very cold. <laughs> <laughs> really? Even at this time of the year? Yeah, we had the last snow 
Really? Oh, yes. Whoa, that is good. So I have to have to say is um, I love the title of your book from Toxic to Soulmate Love. Nobody's ever accused you of being an extremist, have they? I mean, there's got to be something between those two, right? Yes, that's the correlation, right? That's that's the question: is how do we fill the gap? So, um, so let's let's talk about the topic because I think it is a fascinating topic. I mean, the the overall kind of perspective that you talk about is intentional dating. So, what's that mean? Oh, wow. So intentional dating is really taking our own decisions and being intentional for them. So I think a lot of single people are very frustrated because they don't feel like they have a lot of control, but I believe they have more control than what they believe. Okay. And really understanding yourself on a very deep level so that you can articulate your needs in a relationship. And so you can attract that right partner. So for example, knowing the way that you want to be loved or you want to be seen or you want to be heard or knowing the personality type that's going to make you feel most comfortable to be your authentic self. All of these things are ways to understand yourself more deeply and become more intentional to attract the right person to you instead of just a random person. Okay. So... Um, listening to you, that sounds like a lot of work. (laughs) It is. It is a lot of self-development, a lot of self-awareness, but I think through the reflection process, the answers are right in front of us and right within us. And if we just look and pay attention to the right things, then the answer becomes more clear. So you, you use the phrase, which I'm, which I'm intrigued by we we should kind of try to figure out how we want to be loved. Yes. So that seems to me that if you got to figure out how you want to be loved, there are different ways that people can be loved. Exactly. So exactly. give us a little bit of, 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 of some examples of like different ways that different people might want to be loved. Sure. So for example, um, I always found myself in my early years dating men who just weren't articulate, they weren't communicative, and they didn't really um, listen. So their communication skills weren't very strong. Right. So what I realized is I needed um, a man who could communicate and articulate and and affirm me and, um, you know, really take charge of the relationship and lead. And so that made me feel very safe with him, you know, his actions, and they helped me become more vulnerable. They helped me become more of my authentic self. And um, that's really, you know, the road to emotional intimacy is when you can feel safe with someone. So let me, let me, let me pick up and, and put words in your mouth. And so correct me if I'm wrong. Sure. Might there be another type of personality that doesn't need that? Absolutely. It could be loved by somebody who is not a big communicator. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that God has created us 
differently with different needs um, to fulfill our greater purpose. And I do believe that if you're called to marriage, that marriage is a greater purpose. Um, and so I do believe that there is someone out there for everyone in that oh. case. So in the in the intentional dating, um, let me throw out a word. Where's chemistry fit in? So, yeah. So I believe that as you become more emotionally intimate and you share more about yourself and you really learn about each other, that chemistry can grow from that. But I also, of course, think that there's physical chemistry as well. And I think that's part of it as well. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to throw out phrases and give you the opportunity to react to love at first sight. Uh, I don't necessarily, um, believe that. I think that you need to have some kind of communication first. For example, I knew my husband was going to be my husband by the end of the first date, but it didn't happen. Let me tell you, let me tell you, that's pretty, I gotta tell you, that's pretty intentional in terms of, you know, well, but I got to ask you another question. How long was the first date? So yeah, it was pretty much all day. Oh, okay. Yeah, good question. All right. So uh, that's pretty good. But it only took you, it only took you the one date to kind of say, yeah, I think this is the one. Yeah, I believe that's good. So um, in, in, in this kind of notion of intentional dating, um, how about, um, you know, dating sites? What do you think? Yeah. So I actually met my husband on Catholic match. So okay. it definitely is possible. What I provide for my clients is a personalized dating atmosphere to make it a little bit easier because sometimes the online dating can take so long and that's the, you know, the one complaint. So I uh, provide virtual dating events, virtual social networking so that people can actually get right in front of each other and get that practice and see that chemistry. Um, But I also believe that online dating can work if you have a strategy for how to go about finding that right person. Okay. So uh, I'm going to use some negative words. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sounds to me a little bit, what's the difference between having a strategy and being manipulative? Mm, Good question. So I think with a strategy, it's an intention. It's an intention of knowing what you want and sifting through. Because when people go online, there's hundreds of people. Right. And and that can be very overwhelming and o- very overstimulating. So knowing what you want and having the intention of, of being clear really is different than being manipulative. I kind of compare it to like a um like a resume, a job resume. You wouldn't just, you know not go to college or just find a random job, you'd have to know what kind of job you wanted, right? You'd have to know the specific skills and you'd have to narrow it down to find that field. And it's the same thing with finding that right person. It just helps the system be more organized and clear. As part of your coaching, uh, do you, because I do think, I very much like what you're saying about being intentional, understanding your own needs and things like that. But I'm going to go back to say, I do think it's a lot of work and, Mm -hmm. but work that is probably very valuable to do. But do you, do you help people to do that? Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. I offer an Ignatius, um, discernment structured program to kind of walk them through listening to their inner voice and listening to the Holy spirit, because I think think the world is noisy and I think we can get lost in the noise. And I think we can focus on the wrong things in a relationship, like their appearance or their education, which is all good, but it's that deeper understanding that I think God calls us toward and being able to listen as part of that discernment process and really hear the Holy Spirit is a big part. And, and um, okay, let me ask it this way. In the world we live in, okay, um, if you can't do it in a tweet, if you can't do it in a nanosecond, mm-hmm. if it's not quick, if it's not easy, it's not for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what's your sense of the, in the world we live in, the number of people willing to make the effort that you're talking about, which to me sounds very valuable, but, you know, sometimes we don't do what's the right thing. What's your sense of the appetite that people have for your approach? Yeah. So I do believe that people are looking for strategy. They feel very overwhelmed. They don't know what to do. And see older people who are still single and not getting married. And this is a vocation. And I feel like people spend more time focusing on their jobs and careers and their resumes than they do really thinking about what would make a healthy marriage until too late. So I believe that, yes, you're right. It is very countercultural, but when you invest in a lifetime investment, like marriage discernment and that sacred work, I think comes with the territory and you will be rewarded because you will have a healthy marriage and you will raise children in that, in that domestic family life. I assume you work with both men and women. I do. What's the difference? That's a really great question. I think women are more emotional and they can really activate their emotions and really articulate them well, whereas men have a harder time. They're a lot more logical. And that is an actual difference between the masculine and the feminine brain is that men are more logical, women are more emotional, and they have to meet in the middle. But the only diff, I would, I think, I'm not going to dispute you, except men tend to have a real, real ability to deal with and to express the emotion of anger. That's true. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That is one emotion that they can really foster. And what? Uh, again, I'm not not asking you to break any confidentialities or anything, but are there some techniques or or strategies that you can that you offer to men to be more in touch with their positive emotional side? Great question. Absolutely. I always offer meditation. I have a meditation program I've created to really turn off the brain. Okay. And really allow like that inner self to, to come through because it's, we're not, we're body and mind and spirit. And they all should be cultivated in the process. So every individual lives in society. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or to say it this way, there is psychology and there's sociology. Mm-hmm. So given the current environment that we're living in in the world. And I know that's generic, 
what are the major challenges that you find with people entering intentionally into building a relationship? What's going on in the world around us that either facilitates that or impedes it? Well, I think Catholic singles in particular find it very frustrating to find compatible Catholic singles who have that same value. Um, So, you know, they want to stay within that Catholic realm because so many people have so many differing values. So that's one, one way and making it very hard to meet people. Um, the, sometimes the dating apps don't work in the way you need them to. Right. And, um, I think people get comfortable. Right. And I think that that's another thing is really pushing yourself out of your comfort zone and really doing something different in order to have something different show up in your life. You just raised a question, which, um, which I have personally heard people express things which are very different. Different people express different. I've heard people say, you know, my Catholic religion is very important to me. I only want to marry somebody who shares my Catholic faith. I've heard other people say, no, I have my Catholic faith, but as long as she's a good person, he's a good person. Um, it doesn't matter to me if they don't share my share my faith. You have any reflections on that from your experience? Yeah, I I think that's truly God's plan. I think He has a certain purpose behind bringing two people together, and I think that depends on each particular heart and where they're being called. And that's why opening up to the Holy Spirit and really listening to where you're being called and how you're being called and who He's calling you to is kind of part of that plan. And it might be different. It will, it will be different as um, it says in the letter to the Corinthians, there is one spirit, but many gifts. And so where the spirit may be calling one person might well be different than where it's calling somebody else. Absolutely. And that's why the inner voice and really listening to the Holy Spirit and praying and using contemplative prayer to be open, I think helps each person feel less overwhelmed and gives them the confidence they need to go forward in the right direction. Are there, I mean, it seems to me, my perspective um, is what you are offering and what you are kind of putting out there is just incredibly valuable. But I'm also going to opine without knowing a lot. There's not much of it. There's not enough of it mm. in the world. Am I am I correct about that? I I believe there is so much truth to that statement yeah. because I think some people are just um, living, you know, from day to day, and they don't yeah. realize their decisions, and maybe they're making decisions that are part of their subconscious, and they don't realize. Yeah some of these patterns that might be coming up, right? So there's a there's a real element that's mindful and that's intentional that people should be more aware of. Yeah. And again, if I let me speak from a business model for a moment. I suspect you don't have a whole lot of competition. <laughs> Not really, no. <laughs> right. And that, to me, I'm glad that's good for your business. So, okay. But I'm not sure that's good for the Catholic population as a large, that there aren't, you know, hundreds of you 
and mm-hmm. that people can get that type of help. So um, I'm I'm encouraging you to do training and to mm-hmm. to kind of build a community of coaches like you that can be more available to help people kind of maximize their their relationship potential to use my words i appreciate that thank you i i definitely agree with you okay anything final you've been generous with your time um anything you want to share with our listeners uh before i i let you go or where they might find out more about what you're about and what what do you want to share as as i let you go yeah, so you can feel free to visit my website at Monica Marie Braun, B-R-A-U-N dot com. Um, it's actually pronounced Brown, but um, you can spell it B-R-A-U-N dot com. And at my website, you can find my book from Toxic to Soulmate Love. There is a free navigational companion that you can download uh, with the book. And then I also offer free and paid virtual events for people to come together and build their networks, build fellowship and practice their intentional dating. Hey, Tom, make sure we put all that information when we post the, post the, uh, the, the show on our website. We'll do Monsignor. We'll do. <laughs> okay. That is, that is great. Hey, thank you so much. Monica, thank you for being with us. And uh, I'm just very, very grateful. And thank you even more so for the work that you do. Thanks, Monsignor. And thanks, Tom. It's been a pleasure today. Have a great day. Monica Braun, who is the uh, author of the book From Toxic to Soulmate. Uh, Her current company is Soul to Soul Coaching, which focuses on intentional relationships. Um, I'm grateful for Monica spending your time on us with Just Love. Tom, we'll take a little bit of a break and we'll be back to wrap up our show. Just love, just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself. And our world will be more just and more compassionate. We'll be back on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.
Just do it. Just love. Just check out Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, who's here right now. Take it away, Monsignor. Welcome back to Just Love. Just do it. Love God, love your neighbor, love yourself, and our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. Hey, Tom, um, you, uh, I know it's a few weeks in the past, but this was the first year since the pandemic that Pax Christi <clears throat> did its Stations of the Cross through Midtown Manhattan. Mm-hmm. What was your sense of it this year? I thought, I, you know, it was it was good to be back in person. And I thought actually the very beginning of the march, uh, I was a little worried because I, I didn't see as many people as I usually did. But as time went on, one senior, we moved a little bit further down uh, 42nd Street. And then luckily, by the time Catholic Charities, by the time we did our station, which was the uh, the seven station, uh, Veronica wipes the veil of uh, Veronica wipes Jesus's face. It was very crowded. It was very packed, which was good. And we really did maintain a good number of people all the way along the march. So I thought and I I had uh, a friend that was with me who never did it before. And he was even commenting how, by and large, a lot of them were um, like a lot of the people were very, were very pleasant and very open. He did say some of the folks were saying, get out of the way. And I said, well, that's very much like Jesus encountered. He said during the first Good Friday. So I guess we could kind of feel Jesus's, uh, some, you know, some of Jesus's um, experiences that day. But I thought it was good. I thought it was good. Yeah. Um, no, I, it, it was interesting. And I have to say, one of the things that I was uh, very, very kind of happy about is that there were certainly at least a number of um, groups who were from high schools or yeah. Who were younger groups who mm-hmm. came because there were a lot of the people who've been there for decades, mm-hmm. and so they were, you know, very senior. But it was good that there were some new people who were, you know, who were who were there. So that kind of was a was a positive part of the you know of the of the holy whole experience. Um, you know, the one thing I would say, Tom, since we are in the Easter season, it always does kind of strike me as a little bit um, strange, not strange, but probably most people in the world, most Catholics, you know, know Lent is for 40 days and they know all of that. But there are probably not too many who kind of can talk about it being um, uh, 50 days of Easter. Right. And yet that's what we're in now. So let me wish to all of our listeners a very, very... um, continued happy Easter time and continue to celebrate the resurrection. We talk about justice, we talk about fairness, and part of the Easter message is that we should be moving our world in that direction. Thank you for being with us on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. You're listening to the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. 